The solar industry in Missouri, what are the benefits, what are the challenges, and what are the solutions? We'll talk about all of those today on Renew Gurus. Hello out there in podcast world, this is Renew Gurus, your one-stop shop for all things energy politics and politics in Missouri and beyond. My name is James Owen, I'm the Executive Director of Renew Missouri. Uh, we are on the road today. We have taken the studio out of Columbia, we are in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, we have on the boards Matthew Patterson, normally our comic relief <laughs> uh, but he will be doing uh, he will be doing producing duties. Say hello, Matthew. Hello, James. Hello. And our special guest, uh, the reason we're in Springfield, among other things, is Caleb Arthur, the founder and CEO of Sun Solar, the according to my copy, the number one fastest growing solar company in Missouri. Caleb, how are you? Good, James. Thanks for coming down. Appreciate it. Well, I mean, you know, hey, I've. You know, me and Matthew are Springfield guys. We always like coming down here, and we like to come down and talk to you to see what's going on. And uh, we thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of look at, the, you know, when we look at policy and politics, we know we really haven't ever talked to anybody who does this for a living. <laughs> we always talk to people who work at the utility companies. I mean, they do it for a living, but they don't do it as a business. For sure. And so here you are. You have been doing this since when? 2011, 2012? 2012, yeah. 2012. Now, you weren't you weren't a businessman before you did this. So, I mean, kind of give us a little bit of your background before you became a solar guru. For sure. So uh, I grew up in a family-owned business, and that was originally started by my grandfather and then ran by my father. And growing up in that, I learned a, quite a bit about business, but never from the CEO perspective, right. of course. And then uh, left left high school, uh, wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life, ended up going into law enforcement for about five years. Uh, during my time in law enforcement, I built a straw bale house in Houston, Missouri. Holy cow. And when, with building the straw bale house, obviously that's the most efficient type of structure you can build. Uh, ended up with a 50 to $70 a month electric bill on 2,600 square foot. And with me and my family building it, we ended at less than $40 a square foot. And we had money left over for solar panels. So that's kind of started that road. I feel like I could do a whole podcast about the straw bale house. Um, back when I was back when I had a stronger back and a weaker mind, as they would say, I was a I was a farmer, and you know we used straw bales to bed calf hutches and, and bed kind of shelter like that. Yeah. It's really warm. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really good. Like a, a calf, a little baby calf, can be inside a hutch. Like when it's like sub-zero temperatures and they're fine. Yeah, yeah. So, did, I mean, I, this is going to be totally off topic. Forgive me for this. But where did you get the idea to do that? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> at the time, USDA had a rural development grant for the poorest counties in Missouri. And they would give you up to $15,000 and a straw bell expert to build a straw bell home. And they built 15 homes with the program. And I was one of the applicants and I got awarded the grant, and so we built the straw bale house, and then we sprayed the cement stucco on the inside and out, and that's what our walls of the first house I built are. So, so there's there are straw bale experts out there, huh? Yeah, from Arizona, they had to fly. Oh, in okay, so. okay. All right, so but then you okay? I don't want to lose track of this. You put solar paneling on your straw bale house. Yep. Yeah. And was that part of the was that part of the money you got, or was that just your idea to do that? Just my idea. To that do was it. your yeah. idea. Yeah. So that was kind of was that kind of your first 
flair or taste for that was the first solar. time i'd ever seen a solar panel in really? real life was when i bought my own had them delivered on a pallet i looked at them and i was really intimidated by trying to figure out how to hook them up without electrocuting myself um, because you can't really straw. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so um and so me and my dad uh, we we watch videos online we bought some books we and my dad is you know, um, by trades electrician, but obviously solar is a little bit different than what a regular electrician is right. used to. And we hooked up the solar panels and they worked. And I thought, great, this is uh, this is amazing that it works. They put me in the newspaper. People were coming out. People's minds were literally blown around Houston, Missouri, that you could build, <laughs> that this cop built yeah. a straw bale house, put solar on it. It doesn't have a utility bill. Yeah. And it, it was so cheap to do. And so that kind of set the precedent of just kind of, you know, being a pioneer and doing, yeah. you know, crazy, you know, kind of out of the box idea type thinking. And so uh, for about six months, I, I moved on from law enforcement, became a uh, insurance agent. Okay. Um, I really wanted to make a difference in the world. And I, you know, I thought that if I could just make more money than what police officers make, I could start really helping the community more. But with being an insurance, you still have a boss, you still have, right. you know, different things you have to follow. Yeah. You don't really control your own destiny as much. And so my wife was uh, challenging me during that time to start my own business. Oh, okay. And something she came up with was, you know, look how many people were really impressed with what, you know, we were able to do with our shovel house and our solar. There has to be other people that want solar on their homes yeah. because they're tired of paying their utility bills just like we are. And, th and that was one of our concerns is how do we build a home with a small utility bill? Because on a $11 an hour cop salary, you yeah. really have to think about... Do I build a home that has a electric bill as large as my mortgage payment? And my answer was, I can't afford it. Right, right. And so my answer was, I have to build super efficient, and I have to get away from having a utility bill if I'm really ever going to save money, you know, not not making much. Right. So when you built this, I mean, I want to go back. We put these solar panels on. That was before 2012. I mean, when was that? That was uh, right at the right at the end of 2000, um, middle of 2011s when I put on okay. my solar panels. Okay, and and so and and so were you hooked up to the grid? Were you off the grid? How did that work in your case? Yeah, so I was hooked up to the grid, but I had I had installed batteries so that I could run off grid, oh, okay. so that I could run my well pump and things yeah, like that yeah, if the yeah. grid went down. So I came at it from more of a prepper mentality back then, being oh. in law enforcement, seeing you know a lot of natural disasters. My thing was. I want to have solar and batteries to not just offset my utility usage, but to have emergency backup power without needing to, you know, refill a generator with fuel. Be prepared. Yep. Okay. So, and did you live in a cooperative territory where you? Were yeah. Just, okay. Yeah. So I uh, I was hooked up to intercounty co-op. Yep. Yeah. We we know them. Uh, we do. Uh, so okay. So you start this company. Mm -hmm. This this is the company we're talking about where we're at right now. Correct. And uh, say so that was six years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, like when you first start this, I mean, kind of tell me and tell our audience out there, what was the solar industry, like the distributive generation rooftop <laughs> solar industry like in Missouri back in 2012? Different than now? Yeah, a lot different. So <laughs> okay. it was in the middle of a kind of local silent gold rush in St. Louis and Kansas City with All a right. $2 watt. Uh, solar rebate going on. Right. Uh, being in Houston, Missouri, and and branching out from there, I had no clue the rebate was going on until a customer contacted us and said, "My neighbor just got a ten thousand dollar check for going solar, and I want one too." And I yeah. said, 
uh, this isn't California. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and he said, I, I can show you copies of the check. And wow. so he texts me a copy of this guy's check from Ameren. And I go, that's, that's insane. So <laughs> I got on there. I got right. on Ameren's website. I really couldn't find anything. And I ended up going into the tariff filings and reading about the rebates. Oh. With and the public service commission. With the public service commission. Right. Um, that was just, you know, from my days in law enforcement, reading state statutes, knowing how to dig that stuff up to see what people qualify for for different yeah. criminal codes. Right. Tariff filings and stuff like that aren't too much different. It's about understanding the language, how it's filed, how to read through it. I mean, it's you a lot of... You make it sound really easy. No, I can it's not. Do this. Yeah, it's, uh, it's terrible. <laughs> I do this for a living. <laughs> and so, um, quickly realized that this rebate was real. I learned how to apply for it. I, I got online and looked at everything they had. And then I did the calculation, and they'd only paid out um, less than $5 million the year before. Yeah. And I figured out that the cap was going to be over $100 million total. Right. And so, I called my family and said, we're in the middle of a gold rush. Yeah. And we just need to figure out how to move to St. Louis open up a branch there and so it took us about six months we opened up an office in ellisville missouri uh we actually found a family-owned business that had extra office and warehouse space Mm -hmm. and i cut them a deal and put solar on their building and traded them for rent to keep my overhead low so that was kind of our first um introduction into the st louis solar market was having a completely solar powered office warehouse space for our business and that was in 2000 beginning of 2013 and you know Obviously, you you were around to to know, and obviously, you know, PJ Wilson was a big part of right. it back then with Renew. But what we quickly experienced was we grew to fifty employees. Um, it looked like this was going to be one of the most uh, lucrative, sustainable solar markets in the state. Right. And it pretty much all fell apart at the end with yeah. you know hitting the rebate cap. Yeah. You know, having millions of dollars of contracts with customers voided overnight. Uh, having no sales, you know, it's hard to tell somebody that they're getting 70% of their system paid for and then going back and saying you need to f- pay full price and there's no rebate. <laughs> that probably so, doesn't make them very happy. With no, them. no. So right. it, it totally mm. kills It totally kills your sales pipeline and, and it really hurt the solar market, you know, uh, statewide. So at one point in 2013, Missouri was in the top 15 states for installed renewable energy yeah. out of all 50 states. Right. You know, and we quickly went to the bottom of the pile overnight. Right. And every competitor I had um, left the state that wasn't from here. Obviously, growing up in Houston, Missouri, I had to figure out a different way to sell solar without solar rebates. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, sadly, we we lost, you know, 90% of our employees because we just didn't have the work to do. Well, now you say 90%, you said you had 50 employees. Yes. Yeah. So you're talking about you lost like, I mean, 40, 45 Mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Yep, oh overnight, gosh. overnight, oh yeah. and went and uh, left our office, went back to Houston, uh, go, went back to my dad's offices where, where he was located with his family-owned business. We used his warehouse, used his office space, and I just started selling solar myself. And so we got our hands on some financing that we could offer customers. Right. Um, back then, financing was very rare for residential and commercial clients. Sure. Yeah. Um, you had to be a very large, you know, almost national solar company to have financing. Right. Now it's a lot more common. Really, anybody can go out and sell solar and get financing. Yeah. Um, but back then it was very tough. And so I would go out and sell the systems personally myself. And back then it was about your long-term savings play. Because sure. whenever you use financing back then with the higher cost of solar, it was you can save $50,000 over the 25-year life of the panel. Right. But your payment for your solar back then was going to be higher than the utility savings day one. But as utility rates kept going up, 
that become that switches and then you start saving money every month. So it was a lot harder sale on the long-term savings right. back then than it is now where we go in and go, listen, you do energy efficiency and solar and your payment's lower than your current electric bill, you save money day one, it's a no-brainer now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So like when you're going to talk to a bank or anyone who's trying to give you capital back then like four or five years ago, mm-hmm. I mean, do the bankers look at you and say, why would anyone put this on their house? Why do you want to do this? I mean, how are we going to get our money back? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of skepticism then. Yeah, so you know, out of the first fifty banks we talked to, um, there was about forty that were interested, and only a, you know really one that wanted to work with us. So <laughs> it was very yeah. trying. Uh, we had to go get you know some SBA backed lines of credit stuff like that to grow our business, yeah. and it was you know it was a trying time to figure out how to grow because really any new business has such a high chance of failing. Right. You know, if you're less than a five year old business, your chance of failing is you know. Some say 70% and some say 90% that your chance of failing. Yeah. And so most banks know that in general. Right. And so it wasn't just that the solar industry seemed risky in their mind. It was just that we were also a new business. Yeah. You know, I started it when I was, um, you know, 25 years old. So obviously people looked at me as you're a really young kid. Yeah. You don't have proven business model experience. You've never been a CEO at a, you know, right. multi-million dollar company. How are you going to keep this <laughs> thing on the, on the tracks? You know, and, and, we don't really struggle with necessarily that anymore. You know, right. being, being 32 years old, obviously still yeah, I was being young. Say, you're having still the, young to be running yeah, a business. For sure. Yeah. For sure. But the good thing is, is that I made virtually every mistake I could make in the, over these last six years. So as <laughs> okay. long as I'm willing to learn from that and yeah. humble myself, you know, we can continue to grow. But, but yeah, it was, um, you know, banks, banks didn't really understand what we're doing. Home appraisers didn't understand what we're doing. Real estate, <laughs> real estate agents were worried about what we were doing to home values and how to resell with appraisals. And so there was, <laughs> there was always something that was kind of holding us up and, I, I, you know, I've chalked it up as it's just the solar roller coaster, what we call it. Solar coaster. You have your ups, yeah. you have your downs, <laughs> you have policy changes, you have legislative changes. I mean, as a business owner, you know, looking at what the solar industry has, has done over the years, I, you know, if I wasn't so passionate about, you know, reducing our carbon footprint as humans, creating the energy sources that are, you know, our energy needs for today and for the future, I would have went into a completely different business model like HVAC, mm-hmm. where I don't have to get regulatory approval. I don't have to get utility approval. I go get a simple permit. I do the install. I make my profit and I go on. Right. With this business, you know, a, over a quarter of SunSolar's profits that we've made over the last six years have just went back into how do we, one, protect our current solar laws and try to, you know, at least grow our solar laws to where they're at least fair with what the utility companies are able to do. Yeah, and so, uh, right, and I mean, there is a lot of change, and there's, it's still such a new industry that we're still seeing that. Now, with your customers, you said something about the long-term benefits that you had to sell them on. I mean, mm-hmm. were they, they found this persuasive. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, utility customers um, have been educating themselves on solar saving people money, and they see people's utility bills where they've zeroed out their energy usage, they have their connection fee, and they go, wow, my neighbor or my friend did that, maybe in another state even. Right. But they did it, and they're saving lots of money. Why can't I do it here? Sure. And then whenever they call us, we say, well, congratulations. You know, now we can say, you know, we've already got 4,000 people that have did what you did. It's obviously a plug-and-play model at this point. Right. And it's kind of uh, one of those things to where, 
when you show them the numbers on what they can save and how we can work with their utility company to to get this to get this these solar systems on their roofs, they I think the biggest hurdle we overcome is is that people think it's too good to be true now, right? Because the costs have dropped, financing's got more competitive. You know, it's not just you know, it's not just looking at how do I do a loan and use the tax credits with solar. Now we can do solar leasing. So yeah. people don't even have to do any maintenance or warranties on their systems. You know, us and the bank own the systems. We, we take care of them. So people are going, I can spend less money and, and become my own utility company and produce my own power. Right. And so it's, it's sometimes it's still a little daunting for people to look at you know, it's it's still you know twenty five thousand dollars to do solar. It's not a right. hundred thousand anymore, but it's still twenty five thousand. And twenty five thousand dollars, whether you're doing a lease or loan or cash, it's still a big investment in people's minds. Right. And if they don't fully trust what you're doing for them, they do not want to spend that money. Yeah. So we have to build our brand. We have to build our reputation. We have to get along well with utility companies because huh. most of our customers, when we leave the house, will call the utility company and go. Is this true? Can Sun Solar <laughs> yeah. really do this? And if you don't have a good relationship with the utility company, they're going to say, no, you don't want to go down that road. And even and if you do, sometimes they, get, they are discouraging <laughs> of, of their customers. They can't, they can't they can be, be. Yeah. Not always, and, if you're listening. And it's totally understandable because that's their business model has is, is naturally and historically been built off load growth of selling more yeah. kilowatt hours to customers. Yeah. And now with energy efficiency, mostly, and now solar – and how there's not been a lot of you know demand, more demand for power. Right. Utility companies are are, ha- are needing to look at how to how do they change their business model for now in the future. Right, and that's hard because they've really never had to change their business model per se. And in some ways, previously before we worked on the grid modernization bill last year, their hands have been somewhat tied on on how they do prepare for the future with renewables. Right. So. Caleb Arthur, CEO and founder of uh, Sun Solar, is our guest today. So, when you're talking about, I mean, you're you're doing this work in St. Louis, but you you find your way to Springfield, and <laughs> yeah. and I kind of, you know, I, being from here, uh, PJ Wilson, our founder, our co-founder, and former executive director, being from here, I mean, there's a there's a there's a different politics and ideology of the people here. I mean, do you find that it's different in trying to sell uh, uh, solar to people in Southwest Missouri? As opposed to when you were doing that in the St. Louis market, do you do you notice it's different, or is is it is it kind of the same? People just want to save money. You know, it's the overarching number one thing. No matter what political spectrum people come from or what demographics is saving the money. Yeah. So that's obviously where the talk starts, but then it quickly goes to um, after saving money. Uh, obviously, in Southwest Missouri, there's the uh, you know kind of the conservative free market approach yeah, yeah. of I want to produce my own solar, right. I own my own roof, the sun hits my roof, I have God given rights yeah. to take that solar power, you know, to take that sun power, make solar power, and control my own destiny. Yeah. And you know, I don't, you know, and sometimes it's comments of I don't like having, uh, I don't like ha- not having a choice of who my utility company is. Right. Or I've, you know, had a lot of, uh, you know, increases over the years, things like that. But in Southwest Missouri, you know, it's definitely about cost savings. You think about the conservative mindset, people that are conservative um, by nature are obviously thinking about not taking big risk in life um, and losing everything they've, you know, spent all their hard-earned years working for. And so we obviously have a lot of uh, farming community folks down here. And usually they want to do things that are creating future generational wealth. And so they have to look at, you know, how long is, how long are the panels going to last? What's it going to produce? And when I write, and so a lot of times they're thinking about when I pass this on to my kids, 
what yeah. value is it going to be for them and electricity. So they think more than just about themselves down here. And so it's a longer-term play for people yeah. in southwest Missouri. That's a good point. I, it's, it's very true. Um, yeah, because I, I think what's interesting to me is when I go out and talk to the public, and we talk, we've done town halls on solar rights, people's property rights for that. And I just don't sense, you know, if you're a conservative voter, you're a Republican, you have a lot of skepticism about the government. But that's not necessarily skepticism that translates to a monopolistic utility. Mm-hmm. Now, I know some people have, especially cooperative members, they have a better relationship. They have a more personal relationship with their utility than, like, say, if you're in St. Louis, in Kansas City, if sure. you have a, you know, an investor-owned utility. Um, why, I mean, why do you think, I mean, what do you think it is, I mean, I mean, you say you, you're working with utility companies, uh, you're, you're developing a relationship with them. I mean, yeah, they, they are resistant to what you're doing. I mean, so how do you build, I mean, without revealing anything, how do you, how do you build a relationship with a utility who might see you more uh, as competition or as a threat to their business model? For sure. So one of the first things I, I've I've done is kind of have more of an open playbook to where I will build them solar proposals for their own, you know, businesses or their right. own homes and mostly just educate them on here's where the pricing's at, here's where we sell at, here's right. the, you know, inflation models we use and, and just kind of try to educate them on here's Here's just, if you were an average solar customer, here's the questions you would ask. Here's the answers that go along with it. And just kind of, here's how the panels lay out. Here's what they're going to produce over time. And by doing that, um, that alone will kind of break down the wall that I have some secret sauce that I'm, I'm working off All of right. that, you know, I might be, you know, lying to customers and saying, hey, your system can produce way more than what it should be. And just selling customers on the idea of savings versus the actual savings. So whenever I can kind of pierce through that and say, you know, more open, transparent playbook of here's how we sell, here's why we sell this way. And because at the end of the day, if solar companies are ripping off customers, right. then utility companies are, are eventually going to try to start defending their customers to a higher degree yeah. from getting scammed because they yeah. do that now with, you know, call or we're going to disconnect your power, things like that. Because yeah. there's a lot of scams that go on with utility customers. That's so what true. I what I try yeah. to do is, you know, I try, you know, by hiring, um, you know, in-house engineers, by having licensed electrician professionals, by even if you're out in a rural co-op territory where you don't need permits, we right. still install it just like we were doing it in the city okay. of, of Springfield or St. Louis. Right. Because we want these systems to, you know, are designed to last 50 years. Panels have a 25-year warranty, okay. but they can last 40-plus years. I was going to ask what that – yeah. I know you mentioned about this transitional generational thing. Yeah. That's, we're looking at 25 years yeah. as like an industry standard, but they can go longer than that. Yeah. So some of, the, some of the panels like uh, Silfab out of Canada, they've taken their 25-year warranty and have now extended it to a 30-year warranty. So wow. they're getting a lot more longevity out of the you know technology of solar panels that are being manufactured in today's terms. Uh, some of the other things we did with utilities are – uh, we bring them in to actually work with customers together. So yeah. we'll go to utility and say, listen, we don't want to offset 100% of their load. They're a large you know, commercial industrial user. We're going to offset 10% of their load with solar. Right. And we want to bring you in and plan this so that it's you know, done correctly and to your standards and to the customer standards so that everybody's on the same page. Hmm. And yeah. a lot of times utility companies will respect that we're bringing them in on the front end, instead of just surprising them with a net metering agreement on the right. back end to say, okay, we're ready to interconnect. And they go, wow, this is a large system. We have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. um, now, resi- always have questions. Yeah. Now, <laughs> residential is a lot more plug and play. Residential is a very easy standard process. We have net metering laws in Missouri. 
Right. Um, net metering is you know is a, a simple agreement saying that if you're a utility, if you're a co-op, a municipality uh, ran, or you're an investor owned, which right. investor owned are you know Liberty Utilities, KCP, Nell, and Amron. Right. And it simply states that if you want to go solar and you follow these guidelines, they have to play fair with you as a consumer. Right. And so as long as we stay in those guidelines, it's pretty clear on um on how that process goes yeah and it's uh there's deadlines there's dates that they have to follow as utility companies on approval or denials if it's a denial the reason why right and a lot of times it might be that something is uh engineered incorrectly or there is a wrong size system yeah now obviously as a solar companies did this many systems we um have that down to a fine uh, you know a very fine point sure. of you know we know all the algorithms that the utility companies use to make sure that we're sizing the systems correctly for energy offset, things like that. But, um, you know, so we don't really get many denials, but there is protections in place for consumers that want to go solar. Yeah. One of the biggest things that makes solar viable in Missouri is we have a little less than five hours of sunlight on average per day mm, year round right. in Missouri. And you have to oversize your solar systems so that you can offset more of your utility bill. So mostly what you're doing is you're oversizing your solar array for your home or business to way overproduce power during the day right. when you have those sunlight hours. And then through the net metering law, that means there's a new meter put on at the consumer's end and between you and the utility company. And the utility company has to track what p solar power you feed back into the utility company and then what you use back from the utility company. And then there's a net there's a net gain or loss at the end of the month yeah. where they owe you a small credit at wholesale rate right. or you owe them whatever your regular retail rate is that you didn't sure. produce with solar. That means you're mostly during the month, you're getting a dollar for dollar trade through your utility company to hook solar up to them. Yeah. It's a good law. It could be better. Yep. Could be better. I think we both agree on but that. But if we didn't have that law, you wouldn't see really <laughs> yeah, any solar going because there are, I mean, I mean, look, there have been, and I knew we were going to get around to this eventually, there have been states that have made this like virtually illegal <laughs> yeah yeah or so economically impractical yeah. that it that no one does it i mean uh, we look to our, our our friends to the west kansas mm -hmm. just now put on this very draconian uh net metering fee which is basically going to shut the solar industry down yep in kansas yep. safe to say yep yeah we've stopped selling solar in kansas on residential we we still will work with commercial clients because there's still obviously value there for right. them. But yeah, on residential in Kansas, we're not selling and installing any more jobs just because of the um, you know minimum fee they put right. in place. Right. Now, the important part for consumers to know is there's if something like that you know does happen, like it did in Kansas, there's notice put in place. There's right. grandfathering clauses so that everybody that's already been net right. metered doesn't you know lose their investment because that's right. very important with with people in Missouri where we've you know, fought bad legislation in the past, we'll have customers call us and go, I just made this investment in solar yeah, last year. Right. Do, do I lose all my money for going solar? And it's like, no, if there ever was something terrible happen, right. you're still grandfathered in. But guess what? You know, we fought off some of the biggest uh, anti-solar legislation bills in the last couple of years in Missouri right. to where now we've built such a defense that we're able to play offense. And last year, you know, MOSIA, the, the Solar Trade Association group, right. Renew Missouri, and, and a lot and some other groups were able to work with Amron on yeah. getting our rebates back that we lost years got ago. Got the rebates back. You know, and so yeah. that was a huge win because whenever I first got involved with MOSIA and PJ, you know, was encouraging me to get join MOSIA, 
everybody talked about the rebates are gone, our industry is destroyed. What are we going to do? How do we rebuild? Right. And very few companies did rebuild without rebates being here. And so I stood up at the annual conference for Mosia and said, if you vote me in as a board member, um, I don't know how long it will take, but I will work every day to get our rebates back. Right. Little did I know it would take almost four years, but, you know, we got them back. <laughs> yeah, you got them back. They, they went into effect on, I think the law went into effect on August 28th, but yeah. they, and technically right now you can get them, yeah. but they, it doesn't officially go into effect until January 1st of next year. Correct. Of So that's when the money starts flowing in January, yeah. and then there'll be yearly buckets of money. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because every, so this only, infect, this only uh, affects the investor-owned utilities, and the funny right, part is, right, is that- right. Uh, Ameren, KCPNL, and Liberty Utilities all kind of all, all kind of have a little bit different process put in place where it was pretty standardized last time. So yeah. you know, here you go again, where you have to kind of do different things for different utilities. But the money is flowing, the applications yeah. are flowing. This will generate about a half a billion dollars of solar investment over the state over the next few years. So as you know, the CEO of Sun Solar, but also the elected president of Mosia. Right. Um, I'm I'm thrilled that there is so much solar being sold and installed in Missouri because yeah. that is going to help our state. That's going to help our organizations become stronger so that we can get more pro solar, right. uh, you know, things worked on. Utility companies are now looking at us as a as a partner asset in how they move forward with renewables instead right. of an enemy. Yeah. So we've came a long ways in just six years in Missouri. Yeah. Well, I, before I finish any other questions, I got to like do copy for my sponsor. And that is, this podcast is brought to you by Sun Solar, <laughs> where we are, ranked number one fastest growing solar company in Missouri. Start saving money on your electric bill with Sun Solar. Now, Caleb, uh, you mentioned Mosia. I want to make sure we say a lot of acronyms and, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mosia is the Missouri Solar Energy Industry Association, right? Correct. Right. And you're currently the president of it. Correct. Yeah, and so like when you look, I mean, so you have to look at Missouri from a perspective of of all solar providers. I mean, you're here in Springfield. You're a pretty big fish in this market. I mean, mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know Springfield very well, I know we got some national folks out there. I mean, we got like a what a metro area of like three hundred thousand people. <laughs> yeah, here. yeah, um, small. Yeah, yeah, and the uh, the the city limits is one hundred sixty thousand folks. It, um, the uh, inside the city limits, it's a municipal utility. Uh, but you've got uh, parts of the of the uh, metro area that are ran by a co-op. You've got parts mm-hmm. that are ran by Liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got kind of a diverse uh, situation here in Springfield. I mean, how? I mean, is the market here good? I mean, how is it looking right now in this part of the state? Well, obviously, the market in in <clears throat> the St. Louis and Kansas City area have the biggest growth opportunities. Right. Down here, you know, I started building my brand in 2015, and I'm just now to the point to where I would say it kind of pays for itself. Right. Because you have to make so much investment in building your brand whenever you don't have as many people as we do. There's yeah. way more conservative people. It's very rural. You don't yeah. have just housing division after housing division. You can go door knock and sell solar to. Yeah. You're, you're advertising to them. You're educating them. You're meeting them in the public arena. Um, if I, you know, to be honest, if, if I was in the solar industry and I wasn't originally from Missouri... Um, I would probably have a much larger solar company in a more progressive state somewhere on the East Coast or West Coast. But since my roots are here, my family's here, this is where we kind of had to figure out how to make it work. Yeah. But the landscape of selling um, solar and having a solar business in Missouri is tough. It's not... It's not, um, you know, a cakewalk like it is in Arizona <laughs> yeah. or California yeah. or New York or any of these right. other states. 
those states really roll out um, huge educational pieces for solar. It's not that the, the numbers for solar don't work in Missouri. It's that people don't really know that it exists right. or that it's true. And when it just comes from the solar industry, it can be self-serving. Yeah. Where if utilities, cities, counties, the state are educating right. people on how yeah. to use these programs, right. um, it would drastically lower my customer acquisition cost. Mm-hmm. And my customer acquisition cost is one of the biggest things that solar companies struggle with nationwide because it costs so much money to educate consumers yeah. And in a lot of other, I guess, professions like HVAC, they call you demanding your product to where <laughs> yeah, we are selling true. a product people yeah. don't even know they need. Right. So it's it's a it's a lot harder it's a lot harder push in Missouri to sell solar than in other parts of the country. Yeah. So like and you're mostly a president, you also run this very big company down here. Mm-hmm. So you're you are politically active. Yeah. Safe to say. Yeah. Uh, when you look at like what we could be doing or what Missouri could be doing to I mean, you talk about education coming from the state. I mean, mm-hmm. what what do you think that the state, if you could wave a magic wand, I mean, what would it be that they would be doing differently from your yeah. perspective? So, you know, for, for you know, over a year now, um, some of the fine folks at the Division of Energy have been working on um, something called a green bank. Ah, yes. And the biggest barrier to people going solar is um, – I would say financing, being yes. able to pay for right. the product. There's a huge education piece and that's needed, but there's also the financing piece that, that is desperately needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why is because a lot of times if you are going solar and you are getting a loan from me or anybody else, it's looked at as an unsecured loan. Right. So you're paying, you're paying, you know, some extra percentage points um, in these fees to be able to get that loan versus if you do like a home equity line of credit, something like that, right. those things take forever. They're not always approved. And so we offer these loans to make it fast and easy for everybody involved right. so that you can start saving money. Um, so th- there's obviously needing the green bank up and launch because banks can loan money off of the green bank. Right. And that would, that would cut our cost and make it cheaper for our customers to go solar. Yeah. If there was better competitive financing options. And that's, that's ran by the state. And other states have done this. Other states have done this. It's very successful in other states. Colorado's got a really good model that works. Um, and then some of the other things that we really need to work on are tweaks to some of our net metering laws. Yeah. On, you know, at the end of the month, instead of the customer getting a wholesale rate, can they get a retail rate that's called annual true up? And it's, right. it's you know, rolled over for an entire year, just like AT&T rollover minutes used to work. Right. Um, having programs like that in place. Um, from the residential side, uh, looking at how does battery storage come into play? A few mm-hmm. years ago, it wasn't yeah. uh, as dominant, but now it's becoming more dominant. Um, you know, me and you were talking about before the podcast on, um, you know, how Liberty Utilities in New Hampshire now has approval on doing battery storage in homes and they're covering the cost. Well, that's going to start happening in Missouri, you know, with all yeah. the utilities in the future. Is it one year, 10 years? I don't know, yeah. but that will come. So how do homeowners... Uh, reap the benefit along with their utility of having battery storage at their home with it being, you know, partially or mostly paid for by the utility company. Right. And then the utility company get access to that battery to offset peak demands, things like that. Right. That save the utilities money. That way they don't have to go out and buy energy at a higher rate, you know, on the wholesale market. Um, and then there's other things that you guys have been working on a, a lot with uh, purchase power agreements. Yes. TPAs. We had a whole um, podcast on that two weeks yep, ago. Yeah, you did. Yeah. That was a great podcast. <laughs> Uh, community solar. Yes, we're way behind on community solar. I was at we a big. Are. I was at the uh, big uh, annual energy efficiency conference in uh, St. Louis, 
and I spoke at that about energy efficiency plus was that solar. Yesterday? That was last week. Okay, there was a okay. Never yeah. mind. Sorry. Yeah, and um, and I showed them the model on how we do energy efficiency plus solar on every single home to reduce their energy consumption. So we call it reduce before you produce. Right. And yeah. I, I was kind of showing them that model. And I think that's obviously something that, you know, we're going to have to, that we're going to have to take a closer look at um, is why don't we have a robust community solar program um, in Missouri ran by third parties and utilities versus what we currently have? Because other states are building out hundreds of megawatts of community solar. And we have probably what, less than 30 megawatts of community solar, maybe 20. It's not very much. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of concerns. I mean, you mentioned the Department of Energy, Division of Energy, our friend Christy Manning, who, if you're listening, I'm waiting to hear back on whether you're going to be on my podcast. Um, you know, I know she's got consumer protection concerns, I mean, which I think are very easy to fix as long as the Public Service Commission is kind of watching after contracts, as long as you have people, you know, show proof of insurance, show proof of bonding. I think that's easy to fix. For sure. Minnesota's got a robust program. Illinois has got a robust program. Uh, you talk about the green banks. Um, you know, I heard a presentation by someone who runs the uh, green bank in Connecticut. It's a very different state than Missouri politically, but still, I think the concept is still the same. And you know, and I guess you know the one question I would say is, you know, you're up there, you're talking to lawmakers. We have a supermajority of Republicans in the state. Uh, we have, but we also really have a supermajority of people who listen to the utility companies when they're trying to make policies. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that lawmakers in the state are open to some of these things that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely do. Because the reasons why these programs work can um, work on any political spectrum. Right. Just like we talked about earlier on why people are buying solar for their homes, the same kind of goes in effect for why community solar programs work. Yes. You're going to have Democrats in the urban areas looking at how do we help the low income and disenfranchise, and mm. community solar can do that. It can. When you're in rural areas, how does community solar help farmers levelize their cost of their of their feed and right. of their food and, and you know of their production, yeah. things like that. Then you have kind of the in-between where it's, you know, people that live in these apartment complexes that can't put solar on and don't have control over the utility yeah. bills. How do they... How do they uh, subscribe to a program to get levelized costs of energy, mm-hmm. and then just maybe two homeowners that that you know aren't going to put solar on the on the roof of their home or on the ground behind their house. So, right. you know, I think community solar answers a lot of these issues that have kept the solar industry from growing in Missouri. But the thing that makes me, I guess, more excited about where we're at now than we were six years ago. Six years ago, we didn't have um, public service commissioners coming out and. <laughs> Um, show, showcasing the studies on why community solar, regular solar, and batteries are yeah. making sense for utilities, why they have to go that direction if yeah. they're going to save their business model. Um, we've had great senators like Senator Holzman and Senator Sylvie um, working on our legislation for years. Yeah. And then Senator Sylvie is able to become Commissioner Sylvie and now, now. Chairman. Yeah. <laughs> and so we see these guys that have worked on energy policy from a, from a Missouri you know, State Senate level for years that are now commissioners. Yeah. And it's not that they're leaning towards solar just because they're friends with any of us. Right. It's because they see the writing on the wall. They read the reports. They see how wind and solar contracts are even beating natural gas. Yes, they are. So for years, it was you could beat coal for right. the last five years pretty right. easy just because of the cost of coal and, and, and what has to happen to yeah. transport that coal on train cars and the regulatory issues of the pollution that to upgrade coal plants, things like that. 
So for a long time, even Sierra Club was going, hey, let's go to natural gas, let's go to natural oh. gas, and let's shut down right. coal. And my question was, um, if we try to push utilities to natural gas, won't renewables still win at the end of the day? And their question, was, their answer was yes, but how long? We're already there. Yeah, we're already there. Utilities that are sending out new contracts now aren't building natural gas plants. Aren't They haven't built any coal plants. It doesn't matter what happens regulation-wise. It's just the, the cost-effectiveness of wind farms and solar farms for utilities is beating everything else yeah. worldwide. Minnesota regulators have said solar, wind, and batteries – can sustain what would normally be a baseload that would be promised by gas. And they've said that you can't, they've not given permission to utilities to build those gas converters. And yeah. it's, it's interesting. And um, yeah, I mean, a friend of the podcast, um, Renew Guru, Scott Roop was on here. He's been on here and he talked about those green blank banks, but he, as a Republican, as someone who's written columns about the Republican case for renewable energies, he likes the phrase, infrastructure bank yeah which i think you know probably if we're trying to sell that here in missouri yep, maybe I that's agree. you know they no one likes to hear green <laughs> i'm thinking money green yeah okay yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you know it's like when my dad would smell cow manure and he'd say like well that smells like money to me you yeah talk about that being green too uh i mean so i know we're, we gotta wrap up i know you're busy i think i could talk to you all day about this for sure good land i've talked to you most of the morning about it i mean i mean so we talked a little bit about how you see this as a future for the industry but i mean what I mean, what, like, in the next year or two do you see for your business, for the industry here in Missouri? I mean, what do you think it's going to look different? Do you think it's going to look bigger than it is now? I mean, what, what's your prediction on that? You know, residential residential applications still have a long way to go. All right. Um, the, 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 you know, you look at what is the amount of solar generation percentage-wise on the grid in Missouri. And it's minuscule. For yeah. residential, it's like ha- less than half of 1% for the residential and small commercial put together. So that means there's a lot of opportunity in Missouri for solar to be installed on the grid. And there's a lot of opportunity for utilities to allow that before there was in- before there's any kind of issue on how utilities dispatch and use that extra power coming to the grid. Right. You'd have to hit saturation levels of 20% before we start having oh man, what's the utility going to do? So we're years away from having issues on how much solar's backfit in the grid. But the biggest opportunities I see are with utilities doing community solar, battery storage and utility scale, you right. know, wind and solar, things like that. Those things are going to exponentially increase over the next few years. And there are some current things that are in the Supreme Court that have happened where you know the, um, the renewable energy standards laws are changed or more clarified. Yes. It could force the utilities to build out massive amounts of renewables very quickly we'll in the state. <laughs> and then you will see obviously laws trying to be changed around that. You'll see mm-hmm. utilities running petitions on the ballot. You'll see them trying to get a legislature change. Yeah. So there's obviously a thing to where it gives us an opportunity as a solar and energy industry to kind of negotiate our piece of the pie for our future growth as well. Right. So that's that's exciting because where there's opportunity, um, you know, there's going to be growth. Yeah. And so we just have to stay what I would what I would kind of say is is that, you know, it takes the utilities a few years to kind of change their gears to where solar companies can change gear overnight and kind of adapt right. to whatever model needs to happen. Now it's not always the most cost effective to change your business model overnight, but we can adapt and we can use technology, and, and we can continue to grow yeah. our market. So um, exciting times, definitely. Um, I'm glad to be on this end of the curve versus, you know, six years ago when uh. <laughs> I didn't really know anything about yeah. policy. Yeah. I didn't know any lawmakers. 
I'd go testify and I'd be so nervous. And now I know these guys by, you know, first names and they, and they know me. And so it makes it a lot easier to work on energy policy because honestly, you know, other than Renew Missouri, Mosia and the solar companies, um, we don't have, you know, 90 lobbyists on staff to go fight for us. (laughs) We are unlike some people. (laughs) We are, we are the, you know, business owners, taking time out of our company's day to go do that. But it works because these elected officials see us as the business owners and not lobbyists. We can talk about our business model. We can talk about how we're creating jobs, um, sustainable, local, good-paying jobs. And that resonates even with very conservative Republicans. It does. They they like our job creation. They like what we're doing. I mean, you know, without going, you know, in-depth, we've seen that whenever, you know, Whenever Oak Star Bank was doing their ribbon cutting for all their solar panels and their new smart flower, Lieutenant Governor Mike Parson showed up for that ribbon yeah. cutting. The Springfield mayor, yeah. you know, now he's now, now governor. he's the governor. Yes. And uh, he, he's a great governor for us. Yeah. Um, then you've seen the Springfield mayor, Ken McClure, come out. And this was last summer. And he called at the ribbon cutting. I didn't know he was going to do this. He called for, an, uh, for a solar farm to be built at the Springfield Branson Airport at yeah. a ribbon cutting. And I'm sitting there with my mouth hanging open going, did the mayor just call for another solar farm to be built? Like, I didn't even know this was yeah, coming. At the uh, you know, the uh, yeah, Mayor McClure has never been accused of being a uh, greenie <laughs> or a hippie. Um, you know, he's he's a very, very straight button conservative yeah. guy. But he but again, he's a guy who knows budgets and yeah. he knows what saves money. Yeah. And solar is a levelized cost of energy, unlike That's coal right. or natural gas. And give city utilities credit. I know sometimes they're a challenge when you're talking about rooftop solar, but they have they do use a lot of Renewable energy, yep, yep. and they're lower, and so yep, I think that's percent. That, yeah, and that's 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 constant for them. And so you know, you look at a, a town like Springfield, it is it's historically considered conservative. It's not progressive on a lot of issues, but on this stuff, yeah, it's doing pretty good. We do have our one Democrat elected official down here, so we got yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think in the one south of I seventy, <laughs> you have one Democrat, our friend Crystal Quaid. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it is. I mean, but like, yeah, you know, you talk about in these other states where you see more of an embrace of renewable energy. I think they see it as democratic states. But I think, and it's a relief to me that you and PJ did a lot. Honestly, did a lot of the hard work before I got here. Yeah, we, we paved the way for you. you paved the way for me. Now I had to go. I had to go get my. I had to go get my head knocked around a little bit as a consumer advocate. So I I got some licks in uh, pretty well. But uh, you guys did. Get it to where I think utility companies are more friendly to these issues. Lawmakers are more friendly to these issues, and it's a real testament to your work and your uh, your commitment to this. And I know that sometimes we don't always agree on everything, but I am a little bit in awe of you and all the stuff you've done. So, Caleb Arthur, every time I talk to you, I learn something. <laughs> I learn about the straw bale house. <laughs> I learn. I learn about all these things, and it's a it's a real thrill to talk to you. Thank you yeah. for taking time out of your schedule. Uh, to talk to us and our like 50 listeners or whoever it is. Yeah, well, thank you guys for coming down. Maybe I can get you some more listeners once this goes. Yes, so. well, don't worry. We've got plans to publicize this. And uh, yeah, and we and we are building. And if you are a fan of Renew Gurus, please uh, subscribe to us on Stitcher, subscribe to us on iTunes, write a review, share it on social media. Uh, whenever we do that, we do see an increase in our listeners. And so we do appreciate that as the only energy policy focused <laughs> statewide podcast in the country. Uh, we thank you for listening. We thank Caleb Arthur and the folks here at Sun Solar for having us. And, uh, you know, have a good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. <laughs>